Welcome to Healthy House Calls with Angel. You're listening to episode number four. Hello, welcome to Healthy House Calls with Angel. I am your host, Angel Shannon, giving you tips, tools, and holistic strategies to live a healthier life by intentional design. Join me as we explore the landscape of lifestyle medicine, offering practical tips that help you eat, sleep, move, and live better, and help you become fit and functional for life. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode four of Healthy House Calls with Angel and the home of the fit and functional for life community. I'm Angel Shannon, your host, and I want to welcome you to a community that believes that good health is so much more than just a normal physical and the weight on a scale. Good health is also the sense of harmony, balance, peace, purpose and fulfillment we feel in our lives. Now, if you're brand new to this podcast and to our community, here's what I'd like you to know. We are a community that believes first and foremost that health is the first wealth. And because of that, we declare our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being to be our single most important priority. We value knowledge, wisdom, and most importantly, personal transformation. We take our health into our own hands by being informed and empowered. We take action and we hold ourselves accountable. We prioritize rest, movement, mindfulness, optimal nutrition, spiritual growth, and meaningful work that aligns with our life's purpose. In a nutshell, we are a community that desires to be fit and functional, not just for a day, not just for an event, but fit and functional for life. So welcome to our community and to this podcast. Folks, I'm going to dive right in because one of the things I really want to talk about is something that I'm experiencing a lot of these days in my clinical practice, my coaching work. And it's something I've decided to dub as re-entry anxiety. And what I'm talking about is the movement from the state of long-term quarantine that we all have been in around the world for over a year into more movement, re-entering society, re-entering the workplace, re-entering our lives. You know, from the beginning, there was always talk about getting back to normal. You know, when we get back to normal, then we will, you know, fill in the blank, right? And yet none of us have really figured out exactly what normal really is. Now, I think we can all agree that the world has changed. The norms have completely changed. What was absolutely acceptable pre-COVID may or may not be acceptable now. And I'm finding that that is what is creating a lot of tension. Are you are you feeling that too? Just a lot of emotional and physical tension. 
Now, for clinical purposes, I want to make sure that we understand that there are many different forms of anxiety and psychologists and psychiatrists will tell you that there is generalized anxiety. There's adjustment anxiety that can be related to a change in your life status of some kind, like divorce and death and, you know, changing where you live and, and, you know, new birth, childbirth. That's like adjustment anxiety. And then there's the kind of anxiety that can be related to a medical condition. So for the purposes of this episode, I really do want to focus on the anxiety that is related to difficulty with adjustment and adaptation. So what are many of us feeling so anxious about? Here's what I'm hearing. Number one, the question about work. You know, work occupies so much of our time. Our time in terms of daily time, weekly time, monthly time, and then lifetime. If you start working at the age of, you know, 16, 17, even 18, you're going to be working for the majority of your adult life. It occupies so much of our lives. And so, It's understandable that the questions that are arising, the tension that's arising around work questions are absolutely, is absolutely normal. That tension is absolutely normal. It's to be expected. So the question about how we work is creating a lot of anxiety. You know, remote work has forced some people out of their normal working hours to accommodate, you know, business development needs. So they're working, I'm finding people are working longer. Some people who work in sales or teams who or work with teams who live in other time zones. You know, if you're living on the East Coast, and you're working with a team that's on the West Coast, obviously you're you're not going to be shutting off at 5 p.m. if those folks are three, four hours behind your time zone. You're not going to be shutting off at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. as you normally would because you're working remotely and with teams that are outside of your time zone. You know, remote work has demanded a greater amount of digital literacy that takes time to master. And that mastery oftentimes happens, oftentimes happens outside of normal work hours. Okay, let me see how I work this app. Let me see how I, you know, use this Hopin or Whova or Zoom or other, you know, live broadcasting apps. There are so many more apps and portals and passwords to be managed. And, you know, that kind of digital mastery is almost a full-time job all by itself. There's the question of where we work. You know, many people have had to adapt to working at home and have invested a lot of time and money into establishing home offices. And as much as it may sound hard to believe, there are people who feel incredibly isolated working from home and are desperate to get back to a quote unquote normal workplace. Many businesses are requiring employees to come back for a variety of reasons. And that's what's being negotiated now is who comes in when, who sits where, how do we redesign 
the workplace. There are a lot of questions that surround hybrid work design and workflow. So that's something that's creating tension. The rules of work, again, figuring out expectations and renegotiating boundaries is a huge part of the anxiety, the re-entry anxiety that people are feeling right now. Because let's face it, for many of us, our priorities have changed. Our lives have changed. If you were a person who was spending two hours a day on the commute alone, an hour to work and an hour back, which most of us do, And now you have those two hours back to meditate in the morning, maybe practice some yoga, go on a run or do some exercise, maybe even the same things at night. You're probably feeling less stressed right now, more relaxed. You're probably sleeping better, eating better. Maybe you've even lost some weight. You know, if the pandemic has made you aware of bad habits like checking email on weekends and you've got, you know, some healthy boundaries in place now, the question is, do you really want to give that up? How do you maintain these new lifestyle habits that have changed your life, that are making you more energized, more focused, you know, helping you get centered in the morning? You know, how do you let that go? And go back to a life that is a one hour commute in the morning and a one hour in the, you know, commute in the evening and, and, and maintain those healthy habits. That is something that people are struggling with. And so there are a lot of conversations to be had about boundaries and expectations between employees and employers, right? So we're trying to figure out all of these questions that are arising about work, how we work, where we work, the rules of work, the rules of engagement, while still maintaining some of the good that has come out of quarantine for many of us working from home, those who are. Now that takes care of work, but let's talk about new social norms. You know, some questions that people are faced with now is, Managing invitations for get-togethers, things that were so straightforward. Are you coming to my party? Are you coming to, you know, Johnny's graduation or Jane's um, bar mitzvah or christening or what have you? Parties, graduations, social events. Some people are more than ready to start going out to restaurants again, getting together for social events, for dine-in services, and some are not. Some people are fully vaccinated, not wearing masks, feeling 100% comfortable, and some people are fully vaccinated and saying, no, I'm still going to wear my mask and I'm still not ready to dine in, you know, for a restaurant. Some people are really uncomfortable about getting together, vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask, and some people are ready. So it's figuring out where people are and managing these societal norms or new norms, these societal questions about norms, as well as family and friend expectations. It's creating a lot of tension, that it, a lot of questions that take a lot of mental bandwidth these days. And to be honest, it can be quite overwhelming and exhausting. Something as simple as figuring out whether you're going to go to someone's event who's going to be there? 
Are there going to be people who are not vaccinated? Highly likely. You know, are people going to be wearing their masks? Am I going to be the only one wearing my mask? Should I be wearing my mask at all? You know, these are questions that are just continually popping up day after day, minute after minute. We're still managing a lot of incoming information about the virus itself coming from the CDC here in the United States and ministries of health around the world. There's concern about the variants, effectiveness of the vaccine, and for how long, you know, the vaccine will be effective. Will we need boosters? And if so, what's that rollout going to look like? I know for myself, took me, I'm a clinician, took me a long time to get on the roster and get an appointment because it was so difficult to get through that registration process, you know. So overall, there's a lot of incoming stimulation for our brains, which is what it boils down to. And that incoming data, that incoming information, that daily processing and reprocessing over and over, and that continual adjustment to something new every day has created a lot of anxiety from day one. But there's also now what I call that re-entry anxiety. That's my term. How this is playing out at the physical level, you know, oftentimes what I'm seeing these days, my patients and clients are reporting difficulty sleeping, difficulty focusing, physical and mental fatigue as their most recognizable symptoms. For others, it may be creating more stress physiologically, and they'll note increases in their blood pressure, blood sugar. Oh, Angel, I noticed my blood sugar is just completely out of whack. I've not changed my diet. I haven't been cheating, but I just can't figure out why my blood sugar is so off. Well, oftentimes it's related to stress. Maybe even weight gain. You know, I've got a lot of clients now who are saying, I cannot believe how much weight I've put on as a result, again, of physiological changes that occur with the release, the chronic release of stress hormones. So that's what I want to talk about today is some mindfulness-based strategies for managing this protracted state that we find ourselves in. This continued uncertainty that makes adjustment feel really difficult. I also want to share some non-prescription remedies that I incorporate into my clinical practice that might be a consideration for you, my listeners, to talk to your own integrative practitioner about. And you guys know how I feel about integrative health. You know, it's integrative because it's integrative, mean, meaning that you weave in different modalities of health into what you're already doing. This is not about alternative health. That's that's a whole different discussion. I'm talking about on this podcast, integrative methods for health and healing, integrating lifestyle changes into your conventional medicine that you are receiving, primary care that you're receiving with your practitioner, um, which is something that we should all be doing. It isn't anything that's, you know, outside of of what can be considered um, safe and effective clinical practice or clinical strategies. So the first thing I want to talk about, as I said, is some mindfulness-based strategies for managing this thing that I call re-entry anxiety. The first tip I want to offer is to realize that this is different, but it's not new. I want to repeat that. This is different, 
but it's not new. You know, life is in inherently uncertain and unpredictable. And what we are always doing is making assumptions. We're always making assumptions. We assume that, you know, next month we'll get together with a friend or, you know, come September, we'll, we'll go and travel to see such and such only for next month or September to come. And we get the bad news that that person is ill or that person has, you know, passed away or some other life crisis has, has come into the picture and we can't do the thing that we had made the assumption we were going to be able to do. We assume that, oh, well, when I turn 40, I'm going to have a big bash on the ocean front and, you know, and I'm going to have all these guests and this big gathering only for 40 to come. And we've got a loved one that we have to be a caregiver for. And now that big bash is out of the question financially. You know, a lot of us, we assume that, oh, well, when I retire, I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to see all these places and I'm going to do all the things only for retirement to come. And now we've got a grandchild to care for because we want to help out our children who are managing full-time careers, household things, and other responsibilities. So what I'm saying is, is life rarely unfolds around our assumptions. Life unfolds around our realities. We always think that we have more time than we actually do. And every one of us can attest to having had one curveball thrown at us at one point in our lives, if not two. So it's important that we remember that where we are right now with reentry anxiety is an adjustment that's not unlike many of the other things that we likely have had to adjust to in our lives at some point. This isn't just COVID and pandemic adjustment. This is life adjustment and doing the work to get comfortable with uncertainty because that really is the undercurrent of, of it, of the whole discussion. It's the degree to which we can learn and practice becoming comfortable with uncertainty. In fact, getting so comfortable with it that you bet on the inevitable, not the impossible. And you take the position that anything that can happen, can happen. So what I often invite my clients and coaching clients and, and, and clinical uh, patients to do is to ask themselves questions when that, that overwhelming sense of anxiety presents itself, that, that overwhelming uncomfortableness with uncertainty presents itself. One of the questions I invite you to engage with is, what's another way that I can view this situation? What's another way that I can view this situation? What evidence do I have that I can get through this? You know, remind yourself of the times when you've solved similar problems and feelings, when you've had to cope with tragedy or loss in the past. Take stock of those skills, those support systems, your past experiences. And when you do that, you begin to notice how much of a boost of confidence it will give you and how much it helps to calm that sense of anxiety and overwhelm. If I look back on my own past of the things that were extremely overwhelming and uncomfortable for me, the things I had to adjust to in life as a parent, you know, I had to adjust to childbirth. As a wife, I had to adjust to marriage and householding and 
raising children. As a graduate student, I had to adjust to being an adult back in the educational space. When I think back to all of the strategies and skills and support systems that I had to engage during those adjustments in my life, it gives me the confidence that I can do that again. So that's one of the things that I oftentimes, you know, recommend is for people to really ask those kinds of questions. What evidence do I have that I can get through this? You know, what's another way that I can view this situation? Are there opportunities during this time that I can explore to experience this differently? Okay. Number two, another tip in the, in the realm of mindfulness is learning how to manage our relationships, both personal and professional, because relationships require management. We have to take the time to learn how to manage our relationships in the different areas of our lives. And I know no better tool for that than the emotional intelligence model. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I know for sure that people often misunderstand emotional intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence has nothing to do with cognitive ability, has nothing to do with the grades that you got in school, the degree that you have, you know, if you have your doctorate or your master's or bachelor's or no degree at all, the number of certifications you have, how much money you make, all of that. None of that has anything to do with emotional intelligence. Dan Goleman, who literally wrote the book on this over 20 some years ago, defines emotional intelligence as a set of competencies that includes self-awareness and self-management. Now, there are other competencies in the model, but I really do want to hone in on those two specifically, self-awareness and self-management. Self-awareness means that you are deeply aware and in touch with what you feel and why you're feeling it. And whether it's and whether what you're feeling is helping or hurting your own daily life and what you're doing in your life, okay? It's it's really just being deeply deeply in touch with what you feel. Self-awareness is also about having a sense of how other people see you. I'm not talking about what people's opinions are of you necessarily and getting, you know, wrapped up in that, but just understanding how you are viewed in your world, in your, you know, what your sphere of influence is. The four key parts to self-awareness are one, the ability to sense your own emotions and how your emotions are impacting your life. Number two, having a good sense of how others see you. And three, decision-making, the ability to be in touch with your own values, your own mission, and for your sense of purpose. Okay. So self-awareness is really key to managing our relationships both personal and professional. The second thing is self-management, which is quite impossible to engage with without self-awareness. So the four key parts to self-management are, one, a sense of emotional self-control. And they say that the definition of maturity is widening the gap between your impulse and your response. So increasing the gap means allowing 
yourself the time and space to think before you speak, to think before you make a decision, to explore alternatives and to get in front of those really disruptive emotions so that you can achieve a sense of clarity for going forward. You know, that's what widening that gap really is. Number two in self-management is uh, adaptability and agility, which basically means learning how to be flexible. You know, if I have to point a finger to one of the most important things in life, it's learning how to be flexible. You know, some people call it glowing, you know, going with the flow or, you know, what have you. For me, I think of it in terms of just really being adaptable, being flexible, realizing that, you know, life is not static. Things change. People change. Priorities change. And the degree to which you can learn to be flexible is the degree to which you're able to really develop those self-management skills that are so important for managing stress. Number three in self-management is a sense of grit or achievement orientation. And that just basically means that no matter what happens, no matter what comes or goes, we keep our goals in front of us. We keep going, we keep persisting, we keep pushing through. And you know, that achievement orientation in the sense of, you know, in the context of re-entry anxiety is so important. You know, it's remembering that this is just a moment, although it may be a protracted moment, a, pro- a protracted uh, time frame. It still is just a moment in our lives, right? So we can continue focusing on our goals. We can continue to take small steps, small actions every day to move us closer to where we want to be in our lives in the greater sense. You know, that is another key part to self-management. And number four is having a positive or optimistic outlook on the unknown and uncertainties. And I talked about that earlier, is accepting the fact that life is inherently uncertain. I mean, it's just a fact of life. And that is an important part of self-management as well, is just really understanding that your own life and everyone else's lives are inherently uncertain. There are no guarantees. And so Putting those pieces together, that sense of emotional self-control, widening the gap between impulse and response, adaptability and agility, learning how to be flexible, having a sense of grit and achievement orientation, and then just maintaining an optimistic outlook on the unknown and the uncertainties is really, they're really, really powerful tools for getting in front of this re-entry anxiety. So these two together, self-management and self-awareness, they go hand in hand. And as I said, they're critical parts of the whole emotional intelligence model. 
I really admire the work of Dan Goldman and those who work in that space of writing and educating us on emotional intelligence because it's ongoing work. You know, it's life work. It isn't something that you'll, you know, read and then just, you know, you get a little certificate and now you're a master of of emotional intelligence. I mean, this is work that is done every day of our lives. So patients and clients ask me, well, Angel, how do I get started with this emotional intelligence? What can I do in the middle of a crisis or when I'm feeling so much anxiety in my body that I can't even rest, I can't even sleep? So let's talk about that. I advise working with your breath. And it sounds really simple and it sounds really like, okay, what is the, why do I need to do that? Let me explain the science behind this and the reason why I do this. And it's quite straightforward. It's because breath work helps to tame a very important center in your brain called the amygdala. The amygdala is a region of your brain that's primarily associated with emotional learning and behavior. In fact, the name amygdala is derived from the Greek word amygdale, meaning almond, which owes to the structure's almond-like shape. The amygdala is shaped sort of like an almond. It's located in the medial temporal lobe in the brain, just in front of the hippocampus. Now, A simplistic way of looking at the amygdala is it's kind of like your brain's radar, specifically and particularly for anything that's considered dangerous or threatening. In fact, the amygdala is very, very quick at the draw, and it processes a vast array of emotions ranging from joy and sadness to excitement to disappointment regret, satisfaction, you name the emotion, the amygdala is is involved in um, regulating that. It has a very, very quick connection to sensory inputs that come into the brain, specifically through the eye and the ear. So in our earlier experience as a species, the amygdala was really there to protect us from direct physical threats, a snake in the jungle, a woolly mammoth, you know, all those kinds of things that were physical threats. Now, as a more civilized society, as I like to hope that we are, what our amygdalas are tuned into now is more psychological threats, symbolic threats, those that are both real and imagined or perceived. So, what I'm, how this relates to reentry anxiety is we've got all this stimulation coming in. We've got all of these thoughts coming in, this information, this data. Where am I going to be working? When am I going to have to go back to work? What am I going to do about this invitation to such and so's party where there's going to be 300 people? Um, you know, if they call me back to work, how am I going to maintain my exercise practice? Who's going to homeschool the kids? You know, we've got all of this sensory input coming in right now. And what's happening a lot right now and during times of ongoing stress is what's known as the amygdala hijack. Strong sensory input, very quick emotional responses that are often negative, fear or anger, and that, that, that overwhelming sense of 
fear and anger to the extent that we have the very quick emotional response. And then after that response, that post episode realization that the reaction was actually inappropriate. And it's often associated with strong feelings of regret. So let me repeat that. The amygdala hijack, and this is scientific, folks. This isn't something that I'm just sort of making up here. We know this as a sense of an occurrence in which there's strong sensory input. That's number one. Number two, a very quick emotional response that's often negative. And number three, the post-episode realization that the reaction was actually inappropriate with strong feelings of regret. We call that the amygdala hijack because ordinarily when our emotions are well controlled, when stress is low, that prefrontal cortex of our brain, that, that really important area of reasoning that prefrontal cortex actually calms down the amygdala and it activates our higher reasoning. We're able to think about the pros and the cons. We're able to negotiate. We're able to tap into our prior experiences, reframe. We're able to do all of that really good work that those of us who work in positive psychology will talk about that, that helps to, you know, help, helps us derive more positive outcomes in our lives. That's what normally happens. But during an amygdala hijack, the amygdala shuts off. That part of the brain, the amygdala shuts off the prefrontal cortex altogether. And all that's in control is emotional reaction. Intellect is completely cut off and the amygdala completely overrides the prefrontal cortex. And that's why I mention and and always, always recommend meditation and breathing practices. They are so helpful because not only does it help gain some perspective, but it actually at the, at the biological level, psychological level, physiological level, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of that fight, fright, and flight. You know, studies have shown that it can actually, uh, actually reduce the hyperreactivity of the amygdala. It can prevent us from having amygdala hijacks, and it can strengthen the prefrontal cortex. Let me repeat that. Meditation practice and breathing practices can actually prevent us from having amygdala hijacks. They can help us get in front of this re-entry anxiety and strengthen that prefrontal cortex activity, that place in our brains of higher reasoning, higher intellect, you know, intellect of, you know, the, the ability to get emotional control. And so regular breath control practices is what I highly recommend. You basically, I mean, it's really pretty straightforward. And I recommend this often in my coaching practice, as well as my clinical practice. Very simple, very straightforward. You get comfortable where you are. You t- In fact, you know, follow along with me. You can do this right now during this podcast. You get a comfortable position wherever you are in your chair, your sofa, you know, to office or at home, get settled in, feet flat on the floor if you're sitting, back against the back of your chair. You take a few regular breaths just to get settled in. And then after those first couple of regular breaths, you take a nice deep breath in, 
for the count of four, and you notice your abdominal muscles pushing out like a little balloon. So you take that nice deep breath in, pushing the belly out like a little balloon. The count of four, you hold that breath for a count of four again, or as long as you can comfortably, and then you exhale slowly. We call it box breathing, and it's really a very simple technique. And you, as I said, you can do it anywhere, at work, at your desk, in a cafe. Um, but, but as I mentioned, you want to just get comfortable where you are first. Take those first couple of breaths just to get centered in and then start your practice. So if I can walk through that again with you, you close your eyes or you bring your eyes to just a soft gaze. You breathe in your nose while counting to four slowly. You feel the air enter your lungs, pushing your belly out as you breathe in. Hold your breath inside while slowly counting to four or longer if you can do that comfortably. And then you begin to slowly exhale for four seconds or even longer if you are able to do that. And you want to repeat this, you know, maybe five to six cycles. And you just keep repeating these steps for four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, however much time you have to work with it until you feel that sense of calm. Very, very effective, very effective in those moments of feeling really, really overwhelmed or feeling like an amygdala hijack is about to happen. Um, There's another technique that I often recommend, another breathing technique, and we just Note it as mindful breathing, where you're not necessarily counting and controlling your breath, but you're really just directing, redirecting your attention to your breath. Again, really easy practice. So if you'd like to try that during this podcast, again, you just get into a nice, comfortable position in a comfortable place where you know there won't be any distractions. And you can either choose to close your eyes or you can find a fixed object to focus on. I generally advise students to, um, you know, gently close the eyes, but people do what they're most comfortable doing. If you want to focus on something, maybe it could be a candle or waterfall or whatever it is that you can gently focus your gaze on. Um, I like to advise my meditation students to place a hand gently over their heart or over their tummy, uh, abdomen. And as you breathe in and breathe out, you're just bringing your attention to the full in-breath and then to the full out-breath. And if you find your mind wandering, it's okay. You just sort of lovingly bring your attention back to the breath. And in this way, what you're actually doing is you're creating an anchor. In that time of an amygdala hijack, I find the most important thing is to have a place to turn to, an anchor, something that anchors you in the moment and in the reality of the moment. So what you're doing with mindful breathing practice is you're allowing the breath to be your anchor. You're training the brain to know where to find its anchor. And what's good about this is that no matter where you are, you always have your breath with you. This isn't something where you need some special equipment or you have to, you know, light a candle and have a candle with you and all that kind of thing. I remember 
a while back when I had gotten a, a, a mammogram and I'd gotten a call back on my mammogram and any woman listener knows, you know, what any one of my listeners who's a woman knows this is probably one of the scariest feelings is you get a call back and you're, you're told that we noticed something abnormal on your mammogram. We need you to come back to have a, another mammogram repeated or an ultrasound or what have you. And that was the case for me a couple of years back. I was on the beach I'd gotten a phone call. I recognized the the area code, and turns out it was the um, the breast center where I'd ha- where I'd had my mammogram, and they were calling me back. And of course, it was one of the the um, the receptionists, so she wasn't able to give me any information about what was found on the first mammogram. And so I just, you know. Th- went ahead and scheduled the repeat mammogram. And of course, the whole time now I'm on vacation, I'm thinking about this repeat mammogram and, you know, doing my breath work, doing my practice. And I remember when I went back to the breast center while lying on the table, all of a sudden I had an amygdala hijack. I mean, just this sudden rush of negative thoughts. Oh my God, what if it's cancer? Um, I'm thinking about, I mean, I'm just literally thinking the worst. And, you know, one thought just building on the other. What if it is cancer? I didn't do such and such. You know, thinking about my children, thinking about my husband. I'm thinking about all of these things, you know, all of the worst things. And what if such and such? And then I'm thinking about surgery. And then I'm thinking about, and you know, I'm a nurse practitioner. So of course I know the, the, uh, risk factors with surgeries and, you know, I'm an African-American woman as well. So I'm thinking about, you know, how often these things don't bode well and the statistics with African-Americans and breast cancer. Oh, my, my, my mind was literally all over the place. And I'm so thankful that mindful breathing has been a an anchor for me for my adult, you know, the bulk of my adult life, because what I was able to do on that table as I was experiencing my repeat uh, study is I was able to drop right into my own mindful breathing practice. And I was able to really calm myself down. In fact, I could feel myself calming down because, you know, there's an old saying that in the midst of crisis, we don't rise to our strengths. We fall to our habits. And so, you know, it isn't, you know, during a crisis, you don't rah, rah, rah with your strengths. You usually fall into your habits. And this is why the habit or the practice of mindfulness and meditation is so important because they can become our anchor in times of crisis. They are habits. They're things that we do every single day to the extent that we can do it with our eyes closed. So, um, so that's, those are two recommendations that I have right off the bat for re-entry anxiety that have nothing to do with medications, prescriptions, things like this. Now, I do want to say that treatment is important. There are times when we do need prescriptive support, and I do offer that in my clinical practice. Um, But because my focus is lifestyle and functional medicine, I do prefer to also 
look at adjustment and an in, in, in investigation of root causes. So functional medicine really is about digging into other possible etiologies, other possible causes of why we're having hyperreactivity, why it is that our nervous systems are so heightened and, and these amygdala hijacks and this, you know, adjustment anxiety. So I tend to look for nutritional deficiencies. That's my number one thing, because we know that nutrition is so important to mental health. We know that our bodies need vitamin B3 and B6 in order to make L-tryptophan, which is converted into serotonin and melatonin both of which are important for mood enhancement and sleep uh, promotion. We know that our bodies need amino acids in order to make dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter that's needed for mood enhancement also. We know that we need vitamin B1 to make glutamine, which is a precursor for glutathione. That's the the, the body's master antioxidant. So investigating nutritional uh, deficiencies is really, really important. And replacing missing nutrients is also really important to support the body's manufacturing process of all these critical nutrients. I like to make sure that sleep is corrected, right? So whether or not people are sleeping is really, really important. And then in my clinical work and my coaching practice, when I move into, you know, as I, as I support nutrition and as I move into treatment, I really do like supporting the body with specific herbs, um, most importantly, the adaptogens. They are an incredible class of herbs that help the body adapt to stress. Um, they help the body, uh, they help support normal metabolic function and really do help restore systemic homeostasis or equilibrium. Um, these are specific herbs uh, the adaptogens are typically non-toxic. They have an overall normalizing influence on the HPA axis, which is basically um, our fight, flight, or fright response. And that's a lot. There's a lot of science involved in that. And I wrote about this on my blog. So hop over into the show notes and get the link for that. And I'll actually be giving an in-depth webinar next month um, because I do think this is becoming increasingly relevant, particularly for you, my listeners, who really are in search of long-term, natural, and sustainable solutions for better health. So I'm going to be taking a deep dive into re-entry anxiety next month in a webinar, um, I'd really encourage you to check in the show notes, sign up for my newsletter, get on my mailing list because I've got a lot of really important rollouts coming out that I definitely want you to be part of. I think this is an important topic that we need to keep the dialogue going about re-entry anxiety and how we're adjusting, what tips, tools, and strategies that we can share as a, a community um, that might be useful for getting in front of this. So um, tune into that. I'll be, as I said, taking a deep dive into those adaptogens, really the specific science about that, understanding how they work, how they're helpful, um, and how they apply for to different health conditions and things like this. 
always, of course, from an educational perspective, something that you should be discussing with your own healthcare provider before implementing, but very, very useful information for um, managing reentry anxiety. So with that said, I want to close out this episode by saying if you're struggling with reentry anxiety, just know that you are not alone. We have a lot of decisions we need to make individually and collectively. We have a lot of questions that have yet to be answered about the virus itself, new variants, travel, space negotiation, work negotiation, hybrid work environments. In the fall, when children go back to school, there'll be a lot of questions about classroom sizes and school teachers still getting vaccinated and what that's going to look like, how we're going to help them navigate through their adjustment, how we're going to help our children readjust. What I'm saying is that the stress of the pandemic isn't just going to disappear overnight, even with vaccinations, even with more and more people vaccinating, because our lives have changed. The anxiety of readjustment isn't going to just disappear overnight. So I want you to do several things. One, most importantly, talk to your healthcare provider. Talk to your healthcare provider, you know, set a special appointment for just that to get the help that you need to readjust, particularly if it's creating stress for you in the way of difficulty sleeping, weight gain, blood pressure changes, blood sugar changes. You want to get some help with that. This isn't just a laughing matter. This isn't something we just want to push aside and and just think that it's, you know, it's not that important. This is real stuff, folks. You know, so number one, you definitely want to have that conversation with your healthcare provider, even consider therapy to help navigate through the challenge of readjustment. You want to look at some of the things that I talked about in this podcast today about, you know, really checking in with yourself, your emotions, your own level of self-awareness, self-management, checking in with your expectations of others and people's expectations of you. You know, sometimes we have to set really firm and healthy boundaries with the people that we love. And those are difficult conversations to have. At the physiological level, we talked about mindfulness practices and breathing practices and why they're so important for our emotional regulation and stress management. So I'd highly recommend you know, thinking about implementing those practices into your life on a daily basis. And one more thing I think is really, really important, get connected to a real community where you can get support in your life for managing not only re-entry anxiety, but all of the other day-to-day stressors that really do cause and contribute to poor health and up and, and, you know, ultimately shorten our lifespan. The research shows that community is so important to our health. We know now that human connection is essential to good physical and mental health. And that's one thing that I really, really love about the Fit and Functional for Life community. We value real community, real caring, real conversation. And 
As it says on our website, we find joy and excitement in working toward common goals and navigating these kinds of challenges together, because ultimately it's about achieving lasting results and deep, deep personal transformation that I know as a clinician is virtually impossible to achieve alone. One of the things we're doing in the medical community now is thinking about group visits and the power of group visits and how people learn better when they're learning together. Okay. So it's not about you know, one size fits all healthcare anymore. It's not about fad diets and quick fixes and life hacks and all of that. It's about making meaningful lifestyle changes so that we can experience abundant energy, sharper mental focus, get clarity about our emotions, get some physical strength, eat, sleep, move, and live better. And not only live better, but live longer and experience more joy in every aspect of our lives. So I want to invite you to come in, you know, navigate through our community. Try it out. Try it on for size. It's at getfitandfunctionalforlife.com. We offer a three-day trial, no obligation. Come on in, check us out, see what we've got going on. Have a look at our different circles, you know, our different courses, our webinars coming up. I am confident. I am absolutely confident that you will love this community. This isn't social media. This isn't posting. This is a private members only community that is literally committed to everything that I talked about earlier in this podcast. And that is that good health really is the first wealth. So come on over and explore our community. Sign up for my newsletter if you haven't done so already. Healthy House Calls with Angel, the newsletter is the complement to this podcast. Get connected. This is lifestyle medicine. This is totally different than what you'll experience in just a regular doctor's appointment. And I know because I'm a clinician, there's no time to get into all of the things that go into a healthy lifestyle in a 15-minute doctor's appointment. So this is a compliment to everything that you're probably already doing with your healthcare provider, and it's just taking it to that next level. So come on and check us out. Sign up for my newsletter, Healthy House Calls with Angel. Stay tuned to this podcast. Stay tuned to the rollout of my courses on food, mood, and mental health, as well as resilience, as well as gut health. We've got some exciting courses coming up. More than anything, I want to see you part of the webinar that I have coming up on everything that I talked about today and a little bit more, as I said, taking a deep dive into those adaptogens and helping you understand the clinical science of adaptogens and how they help with stress-related conditions, insomnia, difficulty sleeping, uh, you know, weight gain, um, the stress cortisol imbalances that lead to weight gain. This is something I definitely want you to get in on my listeners, because I know if you're listening to this podcast, you know that this is good stuff to implement into your life. So get those resources, look on to the, uh, 
to the show notes, <laughs> grab those links and sharing is caring. Share this podcast with a friend. Let's get the word of lifestyle medicine into every household worldwide. Let's make it a household word. Okay. And we're only going to do that by sharing what we're doing in our lives. If you've seen this podcast posted on LinkedIn, if you're following me on LinkedIn or on Facebook, send me a message. Let me know what you think. You know, let me know what your thoughts are. If you've got a question or you've got something that you want me to cover on this podcast, I would love to do that because guess what? Chances are you're not the only one. Chances are someone else wants that information as well. And I would be overjoyed to be able to provide more of the content that you want to hear about and others want to hear about that pertains to lifestyle medicine and functional medicine, because it really is about getting fit and functional for life, not just for an event, not just for a day, but fit and functional for life. So I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I hope that you found it educational. I'd love to hear from you. Um, please leave me a message wherever you receive this podcast. Until next time, folks, be well and be good to yourself and never, ever, ever be afraid to be amazing. Take good care. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy House Calls with Angel. I hope today's episode leaves you feeling inspired, motivated, and empowered to live your best life by applying the practical tools of holistic lifestyle medicine to eat, sleep, move, and live better. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you receive this podcast. Check in for show notes and share this podcast with friends. If you'd like even more tips in your inbox, subscribe to my newsletter, Healthy House Calls with Angel, by using the link in the show description. Until next time, be well and be good to yourself.